Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley. With me, as always, let's see, he is the flea to my Anthony Kiedis. He is Chuck Holmes, um, and we are coming at you one day after a pretty straightforward, basic, no-frills, 20-point cover over an undefeated Maryland team by Ohio State, of course. That's what you want to see. You got an undefeated team coming into Columbus. You play flawless football. You sit on the ball late, and you eke out a 20-point victory. You cover. I don't know, Chuck. Did I did I hit on everything there? Pretty self-explanatory, right? So I do want everybody to know that I'm currently in my best flea attire. And by best flea attire, I am wearing nothing but a sock. And oh, man. <laughs> it's a good thing we're not on YouTube. I Well, we could get this one up. We're on video. So if anybody wants it, you let me know. We'll be up and down off of YouTube in world record time. But this was... you. Th- this was... Can you call crazy. a 20... 20- can you call a 20-point win sort of a stinker? It was a, uh, yes, it was aesthetically not pleasing at all. And you can because in reality for two almost two and a half quarters, it was bad football by the Buckeyes, especially the offensive side. Like it just was not good football. And it wasn't one area. I think they all stunk for a, a healthy portion of the first, 40 minutes of this game, 35 to 40 minutes. I think that's fair. And for those of you listening, obviously you probably know the score. Uh, Hopefully you know that I was being a bit sarcastic there. But yesterday, and Chuck and I are recording a little bit later than we normally do. We're going to still try and have this out Sunday evening. It might be Monday before you listen. But Ohio State came out slow once again. This has been a consistent theme throughout the 2023 season. Honestly, Chuck, you can say it was a theme at times during the 2022 season. This Ohio State team under Ryan Day has a recent um, history, I guess, of starting slow and adjusting and then maybe pouring it out later. They hit their stride in the second and third quarters. And Chuck, I know you want to hit on that part of things later, but it's 10 to 10 at halftime, and it should have been something completely different. Probably 13-3, Chuck, is that fair? Because Talia Tagovailoa gave Ohio State their only touchdown of the first half with a Josh Proctor pick six, and then he takes three points off the board for his own team with a boneheaded play right before halftime. He throws the ball in the middle of the field with no timeouts. Maryland can't get a field goal attempt off. Then Ohio State comes out in the second half, though, to their credit, uh, 
And it's 27 to 7 in the second half. Kyle McCord looks much better. The defense cleans some things up. They continue to be stingy on that side of the ball. And at the end of the day, you look at it and, okay, Ohio State covered. And I I think the thing that will benefit Ohio State from a national perspective and probably in the polls, I know they moved up to number three in the AP. I think a lot of people were, were, were watching the Red River Shootout, right? A hell of a game between Texas and Oklahoma. So a lot of people probably missed at least pockets of this Ohio State game. And if they missed the first half, then all the better because Ohio State really sort of stunk up the joint. But Chuck, I think there's a fine line to be walked on this episode. I want to remain positive because we're talking about a 20-point win over an undefeated team at the time. And, you know, they should have been ranked Maryland, that is. But I also don't want to come across as stubborn, apologetic, or ignorant to Ohio State's very real issues. We can argue what issues those are, which we will, but a big part of Saturday's game was a problem Chuck, I'll start by putting you, I'm going to force you into a corner here, but can you help me understand why, or can you possibly explain Ohio State's starts? They've been slow getting out of the blocks. What do you think that that is? Because you mentioned something before the podcast. I think it was a good point. I want everyone else to hear it. So we can all almost in unison agree that... Ryan Day can make the maybe the best halftime mid-game adjustments of any offensive play caller in college football right now. However, whatever's going on during the week is not working for him. And I to me, it's, you know, as the head coach, you are this CEO of this program, and you've got to go give a press conference where you don't give out any information and you're completely um, uh, completely hiding the fact that your starting running back isn't playing or you've got a call-in show or you've got this or you've got that. And because of that, the midweek, whatever kind of prep for what's coming is not, not – accurate. And I I don't know what that means because obviously I'm not in the meetings with him and uh, quote unquote offensive coordinator, Brian Hartline, but whatever they're doing during the week, isn't getting it done. And you mentioned maybe it was part of that they're scripting and they won't deviate from that. If that's the case, shame on them. But if it's also not whatever they're doing is not working and another part of this, like if you don't have enough time and Hartline, you can't tell me Brian Hartline has done anything for this offense. You you can't give me an example because if you were struggling in areas last year and every team, every football team should do a, a download of the previous year, what worked and didn't work and the stuff that didn't work, you have to make a change. To me, it would make sense for when stuff isn't working 
you maybe get put another set of eyes on it and you change some things. But we look at short yardage. We look at some of the fourth down calls. We look at starting fast and none of that's changed. And the play calls really haven't changed. So what is, to me, this is Ryan Day spread too thin during the week. It seems like he's not letting Brian Hartline really be the offensive coordinator and help develop a game plan. Because let's be honest, while Ryan Day's game plans work, if he truly had a second set of eyes or a second voice in this, the game plan would change a little bit. And you can't tell me what the plays they're calling now is any different than last year. And they had the same issue with this last year, right? This was this is not a 2023 problem. They started slow last year with arguably the best rookie quarterback that the NFL seen in a decade. And they started slow with him. So something's not working there. And the um and whatever they're not seeing, they're blinded by. They have blinders on and they can't self-evaluate maybe. I don't I don't know where that disconnect is, but whatever's going on during the week is eventually going to bite them in the ass because you're not going to be able to make an adjustment if you're down two or three scores at halftime to actually make a difference and still go win a game going away like they were able to do with this one. I think it's probably <clears throat> sort of difficult to criticize oneself or one's team when you're 50 and six. I mean, obviously you should be able to do it, right? But sure, it, it, I get it. When you're winning, it's tough to say, hey, we suck at this, we suck at that. But that's that's what makes guys like Nick Saban really good. He had a team for years that was winning national championships on defense, running game, A.J. McCarron types, Greg McElroy types. He realized this isn't going to work long-term. All of a sudden the lane trains in town and they're going 12 wide and winning games offensively. And guess what? That kind of played out. And now he's shifting again. And while we think at the beginning of the year, Alabama was in trouble. Guess what? They're not in trouble. They still only have the one loss and they're probably going to be SEC West champs. And that's probably because Nick Saban has that ability and that that time and that opportunity to evaluate everything, like you've said. And I, I still hope that something changes. Uh, you know, I really do like Ryan Day as a play caller. Or I have. I like Ryan Day, the offensive mind. I'm becoming less enthused by Ryan Day, the play caller. I, I have defended Ryan Day's play calling for as long as I can. But he was bad on Saturday, especially early. And he's been bad at times throughout this year, throughout last year. And I think there's some credence to what you said. He has spread very thin. And there's a lot of responsibility that goes with being a head coach. And if he would allow himself to step back, then he could still play the hits, right? He could have those five, those 10 plays to give to Brian Hartline at any given, any given opportunity, right? Like, hey, if we're struggling, I'm going to let you do your thing, but here's your five get out of jail free cards. Here's your five first down. But, you know, like he can still play his hits. He can still have an, an influence. He's the head coach of the damn team. But I, I'm coming around e even more so to the Ryan Day may need to pass the sticks sort of mindset 
I, I still hang on to the Georgia game and some of Ohio State's best performances. I'm like, man, you don't want to lose that. But I'm sort of fighting with myself and admitting that you don't have to lose that. You can let somebody run the day-to-day, and he's still there as the safety net. You look at some of the best coaches there are. Nick Saban isn't calling his defense. Andy Reid isn't calling the offense anymore, right? It's It was Eric Bieniemy. I think it's Mike Kafka now in Kansas City. And it, it tends to be younger coaches who still want to call the plays. You mentioned the lane train, right? Lane Kiffin can't get out of his own way. He calls the plays, and you, you watch a, a game like last weekend, two weekends ago, when his team shit the bed against a team that they probably should have beat in Alabama, but maybe Lane is just too hyper-focused on this or that and not enough on the other. So I, I think the drive where I sort of just threw my hands up and I was like, man, this is tough to defend, is the one where Marvin Harrison Jr. makes two amazing plays, right? Over-the-shoulder catch, yardage counts, but it comes back on the penalty. Then he makes that sort of like odd leaping one on the sideline. It it looked a lot cooler than it probably needed to be, but it was a really good play, right? They get down in the red zone. I think they were inside the 10, and I wish I would have written it down, but I think I remember it was interior run, jet sweep, failed screen. After Marvin Harrison Jr. had just like single-handedly gotten you down the field, that's what you do. Um, And I hope I have the sequence of plays there right. I know that Harrison Jr. is the one who got them into the red zone. That's where the execution continues to struggle. That and in short yardage. Looks like you want to jump in. We've been talking, and this is another example of it. We've been talking about we want this team to run the ball and be more balanced. And today they did it and it wasn't working and they kept doing it. Today of all the days is the day you have to abandon the run. And I know the starting running back wasn't there. That's another conversation that I am just, I'm, I'm so sick of. And I, this is not a Ryan Day issue. This is a college football issue. The fact that nobody knew Travion Henderson wasn't playing in this game is just mind-blowing. He had a press conference where he talked about how great he was versus Notre Dame, and he mentioned nothing about the fact that he was banged up or that he got hurt during practice. And I I hate that about college football. And I know Ryan Day doesn't have to say it, but it's just ridiculous that they just completely gloss over the fact that your, your starting running back is so hurt that he can't even suit up for the game. It's just ridiculous. But that be, that being said, Today's the day you commit to the run when it's not working. Like, what are, what are we thinking? Like, <laughs> yeah. today was the day to not. And that's the, that's part of that, like, rigidity at the beginning of a game that I can't buy into. The longest run of the day was the first damn run of the day. Especially this, Chuck. Like, it wasn't working with Chip Traynham. And then they were unwilling, seemingly, to try Mayan Williams. If you want to stick with it, and I'm not saying Chip was bad yesterday. That, that game was not his fault. The the three yards per carry, that was not his fault. But if you are so committed to the run, throw some bodies at it. Mayan Williams looked okay late in the game. Now, apparently he's down 10 pounds from a month ago. I, I want to know why Mayan Williams was 240 pounds at the beginning of the season. Maybe that's why we haven't seen him. 
but he looked spry yesterday. He uh, put his shoulder down into somebody. So, yeah, to your point, if you're going to be hard-headed, use the tools available to you and try a Mayan Williams. Hell, try a Dallin Hayden. I mean, what are we doing here? The kid can't even get in the game, even if you're trying to save a red shirt or something like that, which is sounds ludicrous to me. Yeah, it's a lot of like sort of speaking out both sides of your mouth. I feel like sometimes the game plan, but the other thing that I wanted to say about Ryan Day in particular, I don't think that he suffered a catastrophic brain injury and forgot how to call plays, right? You can say what you want about last year, but I'm not talking about that. In 2023, I think the problem is that he knows what he has with this offensive line, which we're going to get to in bulk. But I think he knows what he has with that group. And then at quarterback, I think that he is unsure of which Kyle McCord he's going to get. So he lacks trust in all six. And so that's probably on his mental. That's affecting him. And then the whole toughness thing, I don't care whether they lean into it or not. That is causing a problem. He is leaning into something. He wants a fast, agile, finesse team, and then preaches toughness. He's got to get the hell over that. He has to become, lean into what you are. If you want to be a Ferrari, guess what? Ferraris aren't tough. If you want to have a Ferrari offense, you aren't tough. You are a, like, that's just not what this is. So shut the hell up about being tough and go win football games. Guess what? You might've been the tougher team in the first half of yesterday. And it was tied against the team that while five and oh walking in is not on your level. So that that part of it is so short sighted on his part. And I just I hate it. I think that he needs to, in my opinion, I'm not going to tell a head football coach how to do their job, but I think that he needs to prioritize mental toughness over physical toughness and he can continue to drive that. But when it comes to physical toughness, I can tell you right now that Ohio State's offensive line is not that. This offensive line is not physically tough. They might be mentally tough. They might be a tight-knit group, but they can't run block, man. They can't maul anybody. They get out physical. They get out-schemed. They get out-smarted. They get out-athletic, if that's even a word. Um, And there was a play, too. You know what? We'll get to that later. We will get to that later. Chuck, we've talked about the overall sort of appearance of the game, how it played out, the play calling, and Ryan Day. Let's take a quick break. Let's recollect our thoughts because then I want to come back and I want to talk about some of these position groups. And I eventually I want to get to the good, right? They won the damn game by 20 points. So I want to get to a lot of the good. But I think our blood's boiling a little bit too much right now. So quick break and Chuck and I will be right back. We are back here on Hangout in the Holy Land at Land Grant's flagship podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. We are talking about Ohio State's 37-17 to victory over Maryland. And as we start to look at the results, the stats, the position groups, and things like that, Chuck and I sort of made an executive decision. We're not going to go 
in depth into every single position group like we typically do, especially like Ohio State's offense. You look at the running backs, primarily Chip Traynham. I can't say he was good or bad. He had very little to do, very little to work with, wasn't able to get the ground game going. And then the wide receivers, what else do you want to say about Marvin Harrison Jr.? He's arguably the best player in college football. He sort of bailed them out at times yesterday. Hopefully, Emeka Egbuka is healthy after he exited the game. But those two position groups, I, I, I don't know what needs to be said there and I want to focus on Ohio State so and we'll bring in Maryland a little bit too Chuck let's look at quarterback I said we'd bring in both teams I want to get to Kyle McCord I will say that Talia Tagovailoa was 21 for uh, 21 for 41 196 yards one touchdown two picks I think Ohio State's defense did really well against him we'll get to that on the other side Kyle McCord 19 for 29 320 yards, two touchdowns. It does not tell the entire story. That stat line does not tell or give away how badly he struggled early on. I think that he started two for seven. He was taking checkdowns. He was failing to let plays develop. But We've, we've seen this with Kyle McCord, and maybe it's a little bit of that Ryan Day thing, too. The, the during-the-week thing, it's sort of not working, but as Kyle warms up and gets more comfortable, he tends to play better. But I also think that Ryan Day did him favors in the second half, saying, hey, okay, let's look for big number 18. Let's roll you out, play action. Let's find Cade Stover on a big gainer. Even Julian Fleming, that was sort of a a misdirection play by Ohio State. They started to figure it out in the second half, and that goes especially for Kyle McCord. But he's been inconsistent against at least the better teams, right? We have to say that Maryland is one of the better teams that Ohio State has played. There are still times where he's just not letting plays develop Uh, A couple curl routes yesterday in the first half. He just didn't wait for it to come around. And he took a check down. He threw it away. He may have taken a sack. He underthrew multiple balls yesterday by a mile. I'm not sure if that's arm strength or touch. I think the Julian Fleming throw, underthrow, was probably touch. The one to Marvin Harrison Jr., maybe arm strength. I think he's got plenty of zip underneath and in intermediate. And he can throw a good deep ball. So I'm not sure what that was. We got a mixed bag Saturday from Kyle McCord. But still, you look at the end end result there. 320 yards, two touchdowns. I know it wasn't pretty in the beginning. He took a couple sacks. But he's learning. He's adjusting. And he's playing his best ball in second halves. I just want to see four quarters from him. And it's not even close to four quarters now, right? You talked about it. it is it's it is drive after drive after drive after drive that you're seeing the same thing. And that just is not going to work against these better teams. You saw the something similar with Georgia last week with Auburn, where Beck just wasn't there yet. And guess what? Auburn stinks. Like Auburn is <laughs> really, really bad. And they're off their quarterback play is some of the worst in the country. And Georgia almost couldn't pull it out. So this is the same example. 
if you get to Penn State and you can't expect this defense to hold Penn State to 14 points and expect to win that game 17 to 14, especially when if he starts running for his life, then all of a sudden the the defense starts getting a little bit tight. Like you you're you're putting the defense in a bad spot by repeatedly going and repeatedly going and repeatedly going back to the well and the same stuff that's not working. So uh, I don't know that maybe he and Ryan Day need to go both go to uh, first half preparation boarding school or something along those lines. I don't I don't know what what it is, um, but it's a it's a problem that isn't going to rear its head for a couple more weeks. Again, I don't believe. But it could rear its head if they don't watch it. Because guess what? Wisconsin's—they may not be better than Maryland. They might actually be worse. I still think Maryland's a pretty good team. But Camp Randall is no joke, <laughs> and that is going to be an atmosphere that even Notre Dame can't replicate. So it will be a wild ride for him if he doesn't kind of figure out what his beginning of the game jitters are yeah i definitely agree i'll say this though to his credit he has played better in second halves he had the drive against notre dame the underthrows are a problem inconsistency is a problem but i saw some people like early on they're like well devin brown's got to come in this game and i was like what in the hell did you guys see through those first couple of games that makes you think that devin brown is going to get this thing back on track I thought that that was lunacy when I saw that. Devin Brown was even more inconsistent. He was never the front runner for the job. And there were times when he came in, Granny's early, it's young, or I'm sorry, it's early, he is young, but like he gave me no confidence whatsoever. And for see, for people to be calling for him to get in this game, I, I thought it was crazy. Kyle McCord's going to grow. Hopefully he gets better. Right now you're looking at, you know, he's at like 13, 1400 yards, eight touchdowns, one interception. He hasn't thrown one since week one. So like, it's okay. He's fine right now. He needs to play better if they're going to beat Penn State and Michigan, but he's fine right now. Um, One thing, one position group, something that is not fine is Ohio State's offensive line. Holy hell. This unit is seemingly getting worse, um, which is surprising. I thought that they would get better as the season progressed. I thought that certain guys might step up. At this point, though, I I think guys are taking a step back. I've seen regression, especially from Josh Fryer on the right side. He was abysmal yesterday. Donovan Jackson... Seems like he may have been propped up just a little bit by Paris Johnson Jr. and Luke Whipler. He is not, at the very least, he has not elevated the guys around him. Josh Simmons is no better than he was week one. And I would make an argument that Matt Jones right now, 25, 26 years old, he's been in college for a decade. He's playing the best right now along Ohio State's offensive line. The The troubling thing, or one of the troubling things is, at least through the first month of the season, we can say, hey, 
Pass pro's pretty good. That wasn't the case early against Maryland. As Kyle McCord was holding on to the ball, and maybe he held on to it a little bit too long, but Maryland was getting to the quarterback. I think they ended up with three sacks. They definitely had two. And like I said, Josh Fryer was flat out bad. He got beat like a drum on multiple occasions at the right tackle position where he thought he was best. And then, I swear, the second I told somebody that Josh Jimmy Simmons was playing okay, he got blasted into Chillicothe on a ruined screenplay. There was some miscommunication, I think, between him and Trainum, but he slid. He got put on his ass. Aggressively so. Um, and I think it was the play that resulted in an 18-yard loss. Chip Trainum wouldn't bat the ball down. It, it was rough, man. And I haven't seen really any progress. I haven't seen development. I haven't seen much improvement. And that is something that just absolutely frightens me as I look ahead to a Penn State, even a Wisconsin, and definitely a Michigan. Do you agree? I couldn't agree more. The, the, I think the issue we're seeing here is you're right. They haven't gotten better, and they're playing better competition. So they finally played another Big Ten team. And maybe they were a little better against Notre Dame, but I would argue that their pass rush is crap. I mean, when you've got uh, Jean-Baptiste as one of your starting defensive ends, and you made him, he played the game of his life, apparently, against this defense or this offensive line. In hindsight, it's just because they stink. He played the same way he always does. He was just able to produce against this line. You could argue this is cra- what's crazy is two years ago, Ohio State. Their problem was they didn't have any guards and they had to start four tackles. And now they don't have a tackle on. They literally do not have a top 10 team worthy tackle on the roster. And it might be a bigger issue than anything that Ryan Day doesn't does or doesn't bring to the table. Anything Kyle McCord does or doesn't bring to the table, because if you're one dimensional like they were this past week, or this past uh, Saturday against a really good team with a really good pass rush. This Penn State pass rush is no joke. This Michigan defense as a whole is no joke. And if you cannot do what you've got to do against those teams, you are just going to get annihilated. And it's 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 super worrying, man, because they are – they're bad. It's just not – they're a – they're what you would expect from – Purdue or uh, even hell, even Minnesota seems tougher than that. This is a, yeah, they're just, they're a low level at best big 10 offensive line. And the tackles are, they might not even be that. Chuck, that sound that you hear, it's not me drooling. It's chop Robinson salivating, thinking about going up against this Ohio state offensive line with their bookends. And those are, He's going to get in the first round off this game. Absolutely. And I think it's very early in Justin Fry's Ohio State career. And I want to be careful with my words here. I'm not one that typically calls for someone's job. I might say, yeah, they probably are on the hot seat, but I don't ever want to campaign for that or 
advertise that, and I'm not doing so right now. But if the offensive line continues to struggle to this extent, then I think we at least have to ask questions about Justin Fry, right? You look at what Ohio State did last year, and I guess you can make an argument that Justin Fry helped develop Paris Johnson Jr. into a first-rounder. You can make the argument that he helped Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler develop into mid-round draft picks, right? Well, maybe. I, I don't know that they got a ton better. Like, Dewan Jones didn't get a ton better from 2021 to 2022. He got a little bit better, maybe. Luke Whipler, a little bit better, maybe. Paris Johnson Jr., was playing guard. It, it was going to take him a little bit to acclimate to playing tackle, and he was a five-star guy, this, that, and the other. Even if Justin Fry did help those guys reach their ceiling or their potential, he didn't recruit any of them. He didn't have the opportunity to. I get it. But he did not recruit any of those guys who were taken in the NFL draft last year from Ohio State's offensive line. He hasn't recruited any of the any of the guys currently starting for Ohio State right now. He went out and he got Josh Simmons, who is a turnstile. Tegra Shabola, not in the lineup. You can go like on down the line. I have to ask what Justin Fry really is doing to make this offensive line group better. The recruits for next year I mean, a couple of three-star twins. I like the Armstrong twins. I think that they'll, they've will they been playing well this year from what I've read and from what I've saw, so I think they can get better. Ian Moore's a solid tackle. But, okay, like, Ohio State needs a lot of help on this offensive line, or they need to show a lot of progress and development. They don't have the recruits coming in, and they haven't shown the improvement. So, that's where I'm like, okay, what do we have here with Justin Fry? I, I know that Ryan Day speaks highly of him, and he has an offensive coordinator experience. I'm sure that he is helpful in the room during the week for game prep and things like that. But his offensive line is just they're under underperforming woefully so, and so. I think if you're handing out coach grades, like, man, his his is near the bottom. As an offensive line coach, it is great to have all that stuff on the outside that you can offer. But if you can't recruit good players and then develop said players, I don't give a damn how many plays you called at UCLA. That does mean nothing because guess what? All the plays you want to call, we can't call because your guys can't block. So... We're, we're out of luck here. So you better either start recruiting guys that can come in here and play from day one without any coaching, or you better learn to damn develop some of these guys. Like you have better talent than you've ever had at any other previous stop, and they're not getting better. None of them. And it's not like any of these guys are two stars that just all, you know, you catch lightning in a bottle. Every one of these guys is a damn four star or above. Hell, even. Josh Simmons was a four-star. So they all, somebody thought they all had talent at some point. But where, where are you developing that talent? And offensive line is a very 
developmental position, right? That is a, a position group that needs work, that needs to grow. Their bodies have to change. Their techniques have to change. They have to refine almost more than any other position out there. So for them to not be getting better and actually in, in our both of our minds regressing is a, a absolute indictment on the job he's currently doing. And one of the things that's very disappointing for me, nobody looks tough. Nobody's a glass eater. You know, like I, I almost wish they had somebody that we could point to and say, yeah, you know what? He ducks his head too often, but he'll bite your finger off and spit it back in your face. Like, give me something. Give me somebody who's nasty and is going to try and put somebody on their ass and then lay on them, give them an elbow, do something they shouldn't be doing in a pile. Like, they don't even have that. Ohio State coaches and, and people, they spoke about Josh Simmons. Man, he's crazy athletic. Cool. I'm glad that he can dunk a basketball, but he can't block a defensive end. That's a problem. He can't pull. He can't get to the second level. So, I again, I don't care if he can throw 80 miles an hour off a mound, hit a three-pointer, and run the hurdles, like that doesn't mean anything to me if he's protecting Kyle McCord's blind side. So it, it needs to get better. But I, I want to move on beyond that because I promise you Chuck and I are going to talk about some good stuff. We are typically optimistic individuals when it comes to Ohio State, and we haven't quite gotten there yet. So I want to look at the other side of the ball, Chuck. Ohio State's defense went up against a Maryland offense that was 16th in the country in points scored per game. We talked about their competition. Kind of sucked. But Talia Tagovailoa, we think, is going to be an NFL quarterback. They have multiple running backs that they can and could throw at you. Ohio State held Maryland to 106 yards rushing on 35 carries. That's exactly three yards per. And it really... It started with the defensive line, man. We have been waiting. We have been waiting seemingly all year outside of a series or two, a play or two, for Ohio State's defensive line to make their presence known. And they were really good yesterday, man. I got to give it to them. Yes, they were gashed on a play here or there. Uh, Talia Tagovailoa did some things with his legs, but... JT Tuimoloa had by far his best game. I see one and a half sacks. Man, he was close. He was in the neighborhood on one, two, three, four, maybe five other snaps. He was good against the run. He was chasing guys down. JT Tuimoloa was fantastic yesterday. Jack Sawyer, okay, whatever. Mike Hall, good in the middle. Tyleek Williams continues to impress whenever he's out there. Ohio State's defensive line finally impacted the game the, the way that you and I and many others have been wanting them to. So I don't know if I can give them an A+, plus, but this is probably the first time that I have given Ohio State's defensive line an A- minus for a game. I thought they were really good. Full disclosure, I had to listen to the first half and then go back and watch and catch up to, to actually watch it. So I was listening to the radio broadcast and I could, I almost drove off the road because twice in that first half, Paul Keels actually said Jack Sawyer's name as he was flushing uh, Tungavailoa out of the pocket. And you know what? If that's your second guy, and, and here's the thing, he was going to be hard to sack. 
because he does move a little bit. He obviously made some plays with his feet. So you're not going to get eight sacks on him. But what do you got to do? You got to move him off his spot. And they, it felt like after that pick six, prior to the pick six, I didn't feel like they were really going. I think they were really good at run coverage before that. I know uh, JT had made a couple plays in, in the run game before that. But the pick six by Proctor kind of fired the defensive line up a little bit. And then all of a sudden you hear Sawyer's flushing him out of the pocket. He throws it away. JT gets him down for a sack. So that part of it, they both don't, they don't have to get them on the ground 10 times, but the idea of a quote unquote hurry that the quarterback is still, his feet are still playing it and he still gets to step and throw. That's not a real hurry. A hurry is what they were doing this weekend when they would push him out of his spot, make him move, roll out when he didn't want to. Those are the kind of quote unquote hurries that define or that can impact the game. And they did it this week. So hats off to them. You know, I have been one of, if not the biggest critic of these defensive ends specifically. And this week they handle business. And if they continue this, it just makes everybody else's job in the defense so much easier. Yeah. And to Molo out, he was credited with one and a half sacks. One, he was unblocked on. But, like, even if you take that away, he was really good, man. I was so impressed with him. The rotation was still a little bit shorter than I'd like. I didn't see much of Kenyatta Jackson. I think he may have slipped out there a time or two. Now, Caden Curry. Well, one of them, Sawyer got his helmet knocked off, so they had no choice but to take him out of the game for a play. But Caden Curry was out there. He didn't do much, you know, stat-wise. He had a, a knockdown, I think, of a pass. Do a nice block as a fullback on the other side, but I'd like to see a little bit more still because that was one of Jack Sawyer's better games this year. He had three assisted tackles and probably a hurry or two. Like, I'm not saying that's his ceiling. That's been his ceiling, though, thus far this year. So I still want to see some rotation there. But like I said, I, I'd give him like an A-plus if we were handing out grades. Unfortunately, the guys behind them... This is two straight weeks, Chuck. Ohio State's linebackers have not played well the past two games against Notre Dame and Maryland. I know there are some PFF grades out there. I think Steel Chambers and Cody Simon were in the mid to high 50s. Tommy Eichenberg was like in the 60s somewhere. But if you just watch specifically Steel Chambers, like, man, he is taking himself out of a lot of plays. He's getting in the wrong gaps. He's getting juked like no other. You tweeted on the uh, the pod Twitter page that he's probably still looking for his jock after Talia Tagovailoa's touchdown scamper that he had. He hasn't been good really. He's played okay at times this year. I know he's got an interception, but Steel Chambers isn't bringing much to the table. And Tommy Eichenberg's been solid, but not great. Uh, neither one was even very good against Notre Dame. A little bit better, but even Tommy has gotten himself out of position, been in the wrong gaps a time or two. And I continue to be perplexed as to why Cody Simon is a thing. Like, I, I don't get it, man. Maybe if you're playing Iowa and you know there's going to be a lot of two tight end packages, three tight end packages, and the other team is going to run the ball 70% of the time, then maybe there's a place 
on the field for Cody Simon. I, I think he has one skill set, and that's stuffing the run if he's in the right place and if he puts himself in the right place. But too often he's not. He has next to no coverage skills whatsoever, and he played a lot of football yesterday. Far too much for my liking. Do you think that this is a, a two-game blip on the radar from a linebacker group that was pretty good last year? Granted, it was mostly two of them, but, I mean, do you think this is a Jim Knowles thing? Do you think that this is a James Laurinaitis thing, which I don't? Um, what do you think is the problem right now with Ohio State's linebackers? It's, it's scary to think that they were so good last year, and these guys both are costing themselves money with, with their performances here because you could have argued, I think Tommy Eichenberg probably is a second or third down guy or second or third round guy last year just because he was super productive, and he he's never going to be a first-round guy in today's NFL. In 1984, he might have been a first-round guy but they just don't play linebacker like that anymore. And Chambers was uh, probably a fourth or fifth round guy. And I th- I think Steel Chambers probably is going to struggle to get drafted now. And Tommy's a late round guy if things don't change. Like the whole thought last year was they were in the right spots. They were going downhill. They were hitting the guys they needed to hit. They were in coverage in the right spots. And they're doing none of that this year. And I, I don't understand like the th- what what big change happened? You mentioned the PFF grades, and look, get me wrong, PFF is not my uh, I, my favorite because yeah, yep. and and it's more for the defensive lines and hurries and pressures and that. I just to be their stuff is kind of crazy. But Cody Simon graded out as a twenty seven point eight for tackling, <laughs> and I'm not saying he was like that. Okay, maybe they're a little off, but good lord, twenty-seven. What 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 are you offering if you can't tackle as a linebacker? And that's just you. You can't have guys consistently grading as low as they have and not give other guys opportunity. And it seems to be these three guys are it. I don't know what C.J. Hicks did, but it's it's just it's insane that it has they have fallen like this. You thought this was going to be a strength, and they they are not. Yeah, it's. I, I I hope that they'll be okay though. For as well as Ohio State's defense played, um, and, and look, Penn State and Michigan are better than Notre Dame and Maryland, but Notre Dame can do some things and they can confuse you a little bit. And Maryland, same thing, exponentially so for Penn State and Michigan. I'm just like, maybe it was a couple off weeks, but. As far as the C.J. Hicks thing, like he must be the worst practice football player who has ever existed at this point because for him to not even see the field once when you've got Cody Simon out there giving you an F minus, 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 minus in tackling, which is what he, air quotes, gets paid to do. That's shocking, man, and maybe this performance will open up some eyes. I'm not super confident in it, but Cody Simon stunk up the joint yesterday. Steel Chambers was not much better. You have to figure something out there because when you go and you're playing a Penn State, right, with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen and Drew Aller trying to dice you up, 
those are some real weapons. Michigan has a bunch of real weapons. And so if you can't be good at all three levels, you can get a bunch of points put up, put up on you. Even if Ohio State's defensive line and their secondary is playing really good football, if they're just voids in the middle of the field, Penn State, Michigan, maybe Wisconsin, they're going to put up a ton of points. I can promise you that. But let's get to the back end before we wrap this up. Ohio State's secondary continues to impress. Um, I was going to give them the game ball, but I truly feel that Ohio State's defensive line played the best. But Denzel Burke, you know, outside of a, a PI call, was pretty darn good yesterday. Davis Nigbenosin, I know he got beat on the first touchdown on an inside breaking route. I think he's still a really good second secondary corner, a number two option. Jordan Hancock, still some inconsistencies, but like three guys that you you're pretty confident in having out there on the field. Plays are going to happen. Cornerbacks are going to get beat. It happens at every level, in every conference, in every division. It happens in the NFL. Even some of the best guys in the world, they get beat. It's the nature of playing the quarterback position. But they've been pretty solid. A lot of Maryland's yardage, that ha- it was the result of like some circus catches, man. Credit to Maryland. Deshaun Jones, for sure. Caden Prather had a really nice one. Tay Felton had another really nice one. They made some circle catches, or some circus catches. Some back shoulder stuff, certainly contested. So, good job. Kudos to them. But Ohio State's secondary was good. I talked about the cornerbacks. Lathan Ransom played really well. Sonny Styles in and out of the game, played pretty well. And then Josh Proctor, man. You want to talk about a sixth-year guy sort of coming out of nowhere to just play so much. He's playing so much better than I could have imagined. I thought that he got the start week one as like a, hey, we love you, man. We're, We're glad to have you back for year six. No, he's playing out of his mind. He had the pick six yesterday, which really lit up this defense, fired them up. He had a ta- uh, one and a half tackles for loss, seven total. He was outstanding, man. And then Lathan Ransom, I mentioned all six of his tackles were of the solo variety. So great stuff from that group. Wrap me up on Ohio State's defense as a whole. Chuck, hit on any parts. I, I was impressed with two out of three, but overall pretty good performance, right? Oh, absolutely. When you talk about what this Maryland offense have been doing, for them to hold Tugavailoa to 196 yards, like that's big time. He was not uh, comfortable back there at all. On top of it, 41 attempts, so you're less than five yards an attempt. That's that's getting it done as a secondary. And a lot of that, like you said, it kudos to the defensive line for not giving him all day to throw. But you know me. Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom, I have been critical of both of them. They don't deserve that this week. They both played their butts off this week, and I'm I'm so ecstatic to see that. You know, Josh Proctor's pick six truly did ignite a fire, and Ransom's pick was in a big-time spot. If they yeah. go down and score that time, it is it, this game is a completely different ball game. If, if they can go down and even get three, let alone seven, that was huge, a huge spot for him, and I, kudos to them. They played like we've wanted them to play, and to me, they were neither of them. 
I thought Proctor's been good all year, but this was kind of another level for him. I haven't been as high on Ransom, and I know he was player of the week in the Big Ten after the uh, Notre Dame game. Uh, I, I, I stand by the people that picked that award did not actually watch the game. He did have a lot of tackles. This was not that. This game was he was making plays where he needed to make plays. The pick was huge. So the defense... The defense is is playing the way it needs to. You can, if the line and the if the front four and the back five play as well as they are, you can get away with those linebackers not being as productive as you would like. You just hope they kind of tighten up, and then this this unit becomes an all time unit if they can get all eleven guys rolling like the the front four and the back five are currently rolling now. For sure. I I almost forgot about Ransom's pick. That was a really nice play. Obviously, Tagovailoa did not see him dropping back into coverage, but he skied and showed why maybe he played wide receiver at some point in his life. It was a good snack. It was a good uh, jumping catch. So that's sort of going to do it as far as like covering these position groups and the stats and all that stuff. But Chuck, I don't want to get out of here. Do, are we going to cover the special teams or are we just going to not pile on to what that fire is? Okay, here's where I'm at with the special teams. They suck. They have sucked. They will likely continue to suck. And Chuck, you can say whatever you want until further notice. They don't get any of my attention. I'll call them out when they cost Ohio State a game, which is entirely possible. I think... Parker Fleming needs blasted into the sun. He brings nothing to the table. I'm glad Jaden Fielding can kick the ball. Jesse Mirko, eh. I think he's regressed. I guess they can cover a kick. Uh, Let's see. They can't return shit. I just don't want to talk about it. But have at it, man. Go nuts. I'm excited for you. Nothing. Do you have any fake punt plays you'd like to send over? Can we draw (laughs) some up? I I think that was... I don't know who to blame on that one. I think it was a botch snap. Like, I don't think it was called. I hope that it wasn't called. And I will say this, like, I don't know that coaches are to blame for a botched snap, which is what I hope that that was. I don't believe you. If it was called, I need to know who it was. And if that, if that was Fleming's call and it got botched, then I do, I, then he does need to be fired. I refuse to believe that they could have been that dumb, desperate, whatever. But if that was called and failed that miserably, get rid of the guy. Like, don't even let him into the woody tomorrow. Insert the meme where the guys try, the football guys trying to walk. Jamal in. Adams. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But you know what though? Don't upset Jamal Adams because I don't know if you saw him when he did come back and got his belt. <laughs> <clears throat> you don't want to lock him out. You don't want to upset him. But um, no, that that doctor had his life flash before his eyes. Chuck, let's do some quicker, quick winners, losers, and fantasy MVPs. Give me one or two winners from this game. I think the defensive line as a whole is a winner, and specifically the defensive ends, simply because they were better than we have seen at any point this year. And I do think without that, this is a completely different game. So I'm going to give my winner to them. My loser is first half offensive execution. 
It's it's just awful. It's a continual loser for me until they come out and light the world on fire just one time in the first half. So uh, I'll single out JT Tuimoloau as one of my winners, and also Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. We didn't give him a ton of credit, uh, a ton of talk here on this episode. Look, he's awesome, man. I, I don't know what else you want us to say. He'll get more attention from us when he goes for 250 yards. His game yesterday was my expectation, and maybe that's unfair to him, but I really do think that he's the best player in college football, and he showed why yesterday. I will call him a winner. As far as losers, gosh, man, there were a number. Um, Because I'm not hard enough on him, I'll give the the bloodthirsty fans and the Ohio State media who listen to us a little bit of fodder. First half Ryan Day is and was, continues to be a loser for me. And all five offensive linemen. Nobody even grades out as like average or below average. They were all losers yesterday. Not as people, but as football players. They were all losers. So there's a couple for me. Chuck, give me your fantasy MVP. Because it's fantasy and the obvious, I'll let you have the obvious, but Kyle McCord, when you look at his stat line after you watch that game, if you just watch the first half and then you look at his stat line, your your head would explode because there's just no way he got the 320 yards and two touchdowns, but he did. And that kind of second half surge is what wins you fantasy weeks in the middle of the season. And I don't know which one the obvious one is that you're referring to. It might be Marvin Harrison Jr., but I'm actually going to go Ohio State's defense. I don't know what they would have put up. Like, I, I don't Ooh, have it yes, in front of me. Absolutely. But I think they had three sacks. They had two interceptions. They had a touchdown. So my fantasy MVP this week is going to be Ohio State's defense, which... It's probably a first, maybe a last. Well, it's, it's defense slash special teams. Did you get any points for Cody Simon's minus three-yard rush? Anything? Nothing? Well, they can't so, give minus points for, for minus yardage on rushes, so thankfully that didn't count against us too much. But that's going to do it for Chuck and I this week. This episode will be coming out a little bit later than anticipated, but we're excited. We can't wait for you guys to listen to this. Give us your feedback. Uh, Give us what you liked, what you didn't like. Interact with with us on social media. Send us emails. Whatever you guys want to do. We enjoy it all. We will be coming back at you likely Wednesday in our usual time slot with a Purdue preview. I tried to feign excitement there for a second, Chuck, but I saw a little bit of Maryland versus Iowa. I don't know what you expect from me. But regardless, Chuck and I are going to be back on Wednesday. Until then, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. And the way that we always end it, can't get out of here without saying, Go Bucks.